0: Hello and welcome to Thoughts and Everything. My name is Paul LeVon and I am your host. This episode, Episode 3, will go back in time time, the mid-20th century, in what many people consider to be an important movement in American history, the Beat Movement and the Beat Generation. Our guest, Clive Matson, was an active participant in the movement and friends or acquaintances with many of the famous figures of that time period. To this very day, Clive Matson continues to write poetry and reflect the thoughts and feelings of many of the Beat authors. This episode was recorded in North Oakland, California. This episode is brought to you by Redmond Life. Simple, clean, and real. Redmond, live your journey with real salt, Relight, powered by real salt, Relight stick packs, earth paste, and natural clay-based tooth powder. Available at a natural food store near you, online or at redmond.life.com. Also available on our website. Okay, uh, we are here with Clive Matson, who is um, a beat poet. Is that correct?
1: Not really. I was as a child. Yeah, a you were as a child. Okay,
0: yeah. and uh, but again, you are you are a poet. Yeah. Uh,
1: the, my my early training was with the Beats. It's at my foundation. Yeah.
0: Oh, your training was with the Beats. Right. Oh, so as you uh as you progressed as a poet through the through the beat generation mm-hmm. uh you were able to develop your style mm-hmm. um and establish a um grounding for yourself as a poet yeah within the beats yeah great wow okay and i have i have some of your quotes here uh for example it says here quote to be a beat is to be at the bottom of your personality looking up
1: that's john Clellan holmes said that he said that yep. okay you did not say that well i repeated it many times yeah. it's a great great quote
0: uh yeah i mean but, okay from your quotes i have you know did you get your bones I,
1: I got that sense is that do you remember that that's a mafia statement really when somebody's training in the mafia they ask them, they ask them to go out and kill somebody wow and the statement when they come back is did you get your bones in other words did you kill somebody
0: so New York, yeah. This is like in your, during time in New York, uh, because the Mafia obviously had you know fascinating time for the Mafia. No, I learned
1: that lately. That I didn't know it in New
0: York. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you're not you're not from New York originally. You're from from here. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's see here. You talk a lot about Ameridians in your well in one of your poetry. You talk about Ameridians, and we're going to get into that because uh, we're going to talk about Latin America and. Um,
1: Oh, Amerindians,
0: which are basically Native Americans uh-huh. and uh, indigenous people all across the Americas, right? Mm-hmm. And you talk about—I mean—in your poem, you said, "Am I? Are you looking out, and I am looking in? Are you looking in, and I am looking out?" Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get into you know more details, where like for example, that's from, that's from a love
1: poem.
0: Well, it goes on. It says, "I am eating you with strawberries. Mm-hmm. I am drinking you with black tea." So yeah, and but again, um, tell us about growing up. I mean, you grew up in Los Angeles area.
1: I grew up on an avocado farm in San Diego. San yeah, in San Diego, Diego kind of. I was of... born in L.A., but when I was seven, uh, well, when I was about three, we moved to Oklahoma City because Dad worked for the aircraft industry, and in World War II, they were afraid the Japanese were going to bomb the West Coast, so they moved the. The uh, crucial industries inland. So the first few years of During my life the war. spent in yeah Oklahoma City. When the war ended, um, the daycare center that mom and dad had a relationship with were uh, Swiss farmers, and they were buying property in Southern California and starting avocado ranches. That was the that was the buzz at that time that you could start an avocado ranch and raise a family on a ranch and
0: and so they moved to you you know a nice place for the kids to grow up and yeah, that's uh that's great um and how did that as a child growing up in in nature in nature how did that affect you did that give you a uh, obviously you know it must must be a good upbringing you know with mm. you get to run around no wor- less worries for the parents you know um
1: well there was a lot of work to do we worked every day
0: oh really okay came home
1: from school and worked every day until dark
0: okay well well that's great. Yeah, but then you you mm-hmm. went to the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now um you were a good student obviously. You excelled at English, you excelled at literature and
1: I got a full sh- full scholarship to Chicago. Wow, okay. Of Chicago. But uh, it was in science. It wasn't uh, from Oh yeah,
0: because anything. you liked rock as a child, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So you so you got into science. You wanted to become science and then Somehow hearing you got into... Not really. It was a hobby. Okay. It was
1: a hobby, but I did... But
0: when did you decide to become a poet?
1: I was 14. Okay. And wrote a poem. We had an English teacher who uh, was very real. He'd throw stuff at us. He wouldn't keep his job today, but he would throw chalk at us and throw erasers at us when he was annoyed, and his praise was just as forthright, so unlike a teacher that's teaching you how to be a nice middle-class boy, this guy Mm -hmm. was real. Mm -hmm. And when he said, go write a poem, I knew that I could write something real and then it would be appreciated. So that was the underlying message was, you can be real with me. I want a real relationship with you. And I wrote a poem about the wind coming over the chaparral hills behind the avocado ranch, and I loved doing it. Uh, I felt like I thought about it for two weeks. It was probably two days. But that was a that was the instinctive high of actually writing something you observe down that contains your feeling about it, expresses yeah. your connection. That was a real high.
0: So it got you it got you thinking, and at, well it got you thinking. And as that occurred, um, you went to you decided to go to the University of Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, the poetry division. Um, but you dropped out from there. Mm-hmm. Must not have been as engaging for you, I guess.
1: Well, they did the best they could to keep me from writing. I, uh, my intake counselor wouldn't let me sign up for literature courses. He said, with kids that come to our school with a background in science who want to write, we, we keep them doing the science courses and they have them take literature as electives. So uh, sadly, I didn't at that point feel enough agency to contradict him. I said, you, you know, it's my student life sign me up for the literature courses and i'll take the science as electives yeah so i did what he said okay um, this the hutchins school of great books we all took tests entering the college to see where our where our competency level was and then they put us in courses and i was in an upper division literature course do upper division yeah yeah in my first year and that was that was very exciting we read books i hadn't even known existed like gibbon's decline and fall of the roman empire and uh Yeah you know, peloponnesian wars all that great 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 stuff, stuff. Huh? it was amazing and uh milton's paradise lost milton i got into it. i could just feel the energy of the of the verse and yeah so i'm this i'm like 17 That's, well yeah i'd skipped a grade and
0: yeah you i mean you were you're precocious but then you know after dropping out you went to the university of california riverside you know the story there um family. Um, and then um, you moved to San Francisco.
1: Well, it didn't Here. quite happen like that, but the motivating thing was, uh, there are two big things that happened, it was one that the uh, professor of the literature course at, at uh, Chicago asked why Milton wrote Paradise Lost, and I'd been reading it and seeing there's an issue between good and evil. And what I was loving about it was that tug-of-war between good and evil and mm-hmm. how it was expressed in the writing. I said, Milton saw that life was a tug-of-war between good and evil, and he wanted to, well, I don't think I knew the word articulate, but I think he wanted to talk about it. And the professor, who was a cheerful guy, said, oh, no, that's a good answer.
0: Well, discussion. You know? Yeah, because you're looking for to, have to think about, you know, pondering various uh, philosophical issues.
1: That's what I was doing, but he he didn't want that answer. He didn't want it. eh? He wanted was that Milton was upper class, and he was having a quarrel with the King of England. Yeah. And in Paradise Lost, the King of England is God, and he Milton is the devil. Yeah. So that put him on equal grounds, and it made the writing really interest interesting. One side wasn't winning; it was an equal tug of war. There's like this, uh, and I I liked my answer better than his. Yeah. His answer was showing me how to join the academic club. I didn't well, read, yeah, that's I always, know that's what the they're
0: trying to do to you. They're trying to get you into the, yeah. into the club and <laughs> to stay in the club. Um,
1: and I got a D-minus on my first paper for the English class, the freshman English class. Yeah. And I said, why? He said, I had written a piece about geology, about rocks. And I'd used the word VUG, V-U-G, which you probably haven't heard of, but. The guys Never out heard in the it, field yeah. know about it. It's a hole in the rock where there are crystals. Not a big one. That's a pocket. Yeah. But one that you know might be this big or this big. Yeah. And uh, he said, boy, that's a gem of a word. I'll bet you use the thesaurus for that. And I said, no, I knew it. <laughs> and he said, well, you wrote purple prose, but it's good purple prose. So it's good qu- prose, yeah. <laughs> so he gave, he raised my grade to from, C, from D minus to a C and oh. I was friends with a guy there who knew what was happening in Chicago. It's like Fritz Reiner was at the Chicago Symphony, and you could go and hear their dress rehearsals yeah. for a buck yeah, on Fridays while they were warming up for the Friday night performance. So we'd do that. And he knew there was a reading coming up that I should go to. He knew that um, Irving Rosenthal, who's a beat, was editing the Chicago Review and he solicited Ginsburg, and what Ginsburg was doing at the time, and what he did a lot, was, yeah, you can have m- some of my poems, but if you accept mine, you've got to accept some Michael McClure, some Edward Dalby, some John Wieners.
0: Yeah, I've, I heard about that with him, yeah. which is good. I think that was an honorable thing that
1: he did. Absolutely, and the, but the administration of Chicago heard about what Irving was doing with the review and said, "No, you can't do that." You can't do it, yeah. So they went off campus and they started Big Table. Oh, good and for they them! Had yeah. A big launch reading at at Gate of Horn in Chicago. Yeah. And it was the it was it was really the. So this is 1959. Howell was published in 1957 and went to court. I think the same year. Wow! Yeah. And they won the they won the court battle. So the so the people in the know. Knew that something was brewing, and that, that was interesting that he won the won the obscenity trial, but the general public didn't know. You the know, Chicago Review got thrown off campus, and they had this big reading at Gate of Horn. That's when the general public knew the Beats existed. Yeah, and it was it was an incredible ro- reading. Very I'm sure strong. it was. Yeah, I, I I listened to it. I listened to him. You know, with Moloch
0: and all that stuff. We'll get into that. But uh, right now, uh, because you you went to San Francisco, and then you decided you to, to travel. Did you go to Europe?
1: Yeah, I went. to went to europe with my girlfriend how was that traveling around europe for was you great
0: yeah you got to see the world
1: some of it yeah she loved the cathedral so a lot of i saw, yeah. saw a lot of cathedrals a lot of cathedrals art. yeah a lot of art she yeah was in art. she was art she's four years older than me and yeah and that's great I, yeah in her eyes i was a bad boy because i yeah. smoked marijuana and
0: oh okay and but then you went to, to new york city mm-hmm. um and then in new york city where the Beat poets living in New York City and your emergency of that during that time as that was emerging Beats Poets. You kind of came late into it, but you still you, you know Ginsburg. Nineteen sixty one. You were you, you were friends with Ginsburg, you're friends with Burroughs. Uh, not Burroughs, but not Ginsburg. Bur- Ginsburg. Mostly
1: Herb Hunkey, do you know that name?
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, because he uh, you he was one of your primary influences, Absolutely. Herbert Hunky. Um, who talks about the the curiosity about people. Yeah, right. He, he talks about that curiosity him. about people. Yeah. yeah.
1: He left home when he was 12. And he oh. in the Carney circuits. <laughs> and,
0: wow. Yeah. In, in, Chicago. They, in Chicago. Yeah. It's great to that to, you took these characters that just don't really fit into the mainstream. Yeah. And you see how they how their life progresses as they try to, um, you know, at living outside of and it's 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 fascinating to see how their insights and just their overall understanding of people is uh, how how it materializes
1: yeah he lived by his wits he was just a kid yeah he was and attractive and smart and i think a lot of people liked him and he got to know a lot of people yeah
0: well um so now what's it, how how do we uh distinguish between a beat and a, a bohemian um how are the beats separated from the bohemians I think they were, were they part, part
1: of Bohemian culture. they kind of Well oh, they were part, part of They were kind it, of drifting
0: yeah. along with it, huh?
1: Yeah. There was Bohemian culture long before there were beats. Oh yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I mean the Bohemians, Gertrude Stein, Hemingway, Henry Miller and all that. Yeah, yeah. You know, from there. Um but then you have the beats uh coming in, into existence during this time where there's so much prosperity in the United States yeah. and just things are just rolling along, you know, the big machine is humming. Um and here are the Beats coming along and saying, you know, sort of rejecting that whole opacity of, of um, you know, how things are, are are molding in this this big dream. the American Dream, as it were. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, right you know, a defense. different perspective. Yeah. And then you know, as the uh, you know Allen Ginsberg was reading Howl, and again, you oh, said I think it was you who said that the Beats were real, that they communicated in our own language, which is true. And again, being poets, they found sort of. I, in my opinion, I think they found this means to express themselves mm-hmm. in in their own style and progressing that way.
1: Well, it was an amazing time. I ran into a quote the other day from uh, Leroy Jones, from Amiri Baraka, but he was Leroy Jones, I think, when he said it. And someone asked him what the generation was. And he said, it's all these different people from different classes, different races, different cultures, who agreed that society sucks,
0: well, the, yeah, they they say and that, that fit. in the in the in the terminology that, that society is, but but again, you know, this society sucks. That that kind of terminology is.
1: Conforming. Well,
0: yeah, they they say it's it. There's a conformism, the the the, the idea of
1: conformism in
0: society. Um, that's a difficult thing to look at. Um, to
1: well, was pretty, I don't think we can. Obvious. I don't I think we can. I walking with Irving Rosenthal one day and. Is Who was Irving Rosenthal? He was the editor of Chicago Review that got thrown off campus. Right, right, so yeah. He was instrumental in pushing the beats into the popular culture. And an influence in your life. Right. Yeah. And uh, we're walking along one day. This, is 19, this had to be 1961, and it's on the Lower East Side of New York. And the conformity expressed itself by people looking the same. And he pointed to somebody a half a block away and said, Look, there's one of us. And I don't remember what it was, but his hair, or his dress, showed that he wa- he was not going to conform.
0: Now, um, would you say Irving Rosenthal was a uh, a pretty big beneficiary of the American dream? Um, because you know Thompson Hunter Thompson talked about this in in the fact that the American dream was sort of um, morphing from from being more based on you know like the the Irish American more to more like a, a Jewish American, you know, <laughs> um, as being kind of a the the symbolism of it during that during that that time and, and during the sixties also uh,
1: he was Jewish he went to um,
0: I, I I I don't Chicago, mean to single out Rosenthal, uh, Irving Rosenthal
1: at the uh, the obvious thing at the gate of Horn reading is that these people were reading they were speaking their passion who they really are and there were guys in the back of the audience who said these guys are all communists and they found they couldn't influence the political process remember this nineteen fifty nine yeah McCarthy era. And then and then and, said,
0: and then Kerouac coming around and saying that the beat the the, the they jumped on, on the beats back. Who did? Uh Kerouac said that. That he had jumped on the beats? That back. that the communists jumped on
1: the backs of the beats. What the hell is he talking about? Well yeah.
0: He said this, you know, this is his interview with um on T V with uh Buckley, Buckley, William Buckley. Oh, Buckley yeah. yeah. I mean he was drunk during the interview, so it wasn't <laughs>
1: He was a piece of work.
0: He was, yeah, especially in his later years. You
1: know. he, he he had uh, Leroy Jones. He had a Murray Baraka on his show, and he just started talking. It was just way off the maps. And Baraka looked at him and said, you don't know anything about me, do you? <laughs> and he didn't. Well, yeah. But, but again, it was— do, He didn't do his research.
0: Yeah, and then he sort of became kind of withdrawn and kind of— uh, yeah. Started, you know, rejected the entire notion of the hippies and, and whatnot. And we'll get into that. Buckley uh, did that? No, Kerouac. Oh, Kerouac. Oh, you're talking about Buckley.
1: Buckley's, Buckley had Emory uh, Baraka on his show. Oh, And Emory okay. said to Buckley, after yeah. Buckley had said something just off the wall, said, you don't know anything about me, do you?
0: But anyway... Um, yeah. We're talking you know civil rights are emerging in parallel to to the beats, and then eventually the counter well not it was already in full effect as the counterculture emerged absolutely um but it, but we have this notion of the beats being something new and something different, and I listen to your poetry, and mm-hmm. I still think it must be something that keeps you going it you know year after year you know ah, thank you yeah
1: well what was that was a special time because um what was it? The difference between the University of Chicago and that reading of Gate of Horns, the reading of Gate of Horns, they were being real. They were speaking from, well, the bottom of their personality. It was full engagement of body, heart, and mind. And that hadn't happened in literature in a long, long time. And one of the guiding lights was Whitman, and he's very interested in the self. I celebrate myself. I sing myself. What I assume, you shall assume. And that, that attitude that um, uh, that the self was important was just part of the times. Among Me. Bohemians, among Beats. Yeah. And the Beats, when I gave my first reading it, and in the readings that I heard, the mentality was who we are and what we feel is news. We don't have to go to European literature to get it. We don't have to go to intellectuality to get it it's just what we feel is news and the person who started that more than ginsburg was ferlinghetti the university of university of chicago the book we were walking around with and the first beat stuff that i read was ferlinghetti's um, coney island of the mind and the poem itself was christ climbed down and that's where christ climbs down off the cross and looks around and it's, the is getting ready for Christmas and he doesn't like what he sees very much. But what that did was take poetry just to, with one poem out of the universities and into the street. He used our language, even though it was Jesus Christ talking, we could feel it was feelings that we had. He was critical of the culture. And this wasn't new. The undercurrent of, of unease with all the materialism was general. By the time the '60s started, by the time that
0: book came American out. consumerism consumption right. Uh, right, it's a different type of consumption than say a uh, consumption in other parts of the world. But again, um, it's something new for us, and we always considering it was unspoiled America was unspoiled, and suddenly the resources are being kind of drawn. But yeah, let's but let's nice get into it. The thing
1: is he brought it down to our level, to street level, so we could yeah. write poetry with our own language, and which with, is important. With the huh? self being news. You could get up and read a poem about yourself, and the audience appreciated it because the conformity had been so strict. That the strictness. Relief and exciting yeah. to hear somebody just speak what they're feeling.
0: And what what do you think created this sense of conformity?
1: Well, it's historical. It's earlier, but I think it's just what you were saying. It was the prosperity, and the during World War II we were kind of locked down. We had yeah. to. Yeah. Do, uh, do you think it's
0: it's a sense of of. Um, taking the lead not enough direction uh, as it were to, to to take that lead and instead of doing that we decided to just uh discipline ourselves to a sense where we having something maybe being kind of over our heads we say well let's just discipline ourselves because we want to we want to keep keep what we got that
1: uh, sounds right i mean i was a kid during the 40s well i, I wasn't I even to, born
0: That was two generations people, before me people were
1: yeah. pretty locked down pretty tight to keep their jobs, they're frightened for the what the Japanese and the Germans were going to do, and
0: yeah, it's a different time. And there wasn't China.
1: Um, one of the things that powered the beats was, was sexuality because it was yeah. pretty constrained earlier that and
0: and uh drug consumption, right? Right, right. yeah, and,
1: and music that you could dance to and party to. And,
0: oh, yeah, the music was great. Let's talk about yahe. Uh, Burroughs goes to Panama in search of it, ayahuasca, which uh. uh Again, is the, uh, the is this, uh, is, is, uh, the chemical agent in it, which is the same thing as in magic mushrooms. Mm mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So he goes and, and tries it, and then that provides, you know, quote unquote, consciousness expansion and whatnot. Um, and I'm sure the Beats were, were experimenting with those things also. Then comes, uh, around what year, here in San Francisco, were you here in, you were in New York during that time, right? right? So at here in, in around nineteen sixty five, the the um, you know we're we're very we're in North Oakland right now, mm-hmm. and Berkeley is uh, a few blocks that way. That's right. Uh, that's where the students started their protests. Yeah, um, Fifteen blocks, yeah. Yeah, around nineteen sixty four, and then kind of coming to a uh, nineteen sixty five, expanding. Um, you also have Ken Kesey and in La Honda and having his parties. Uh, the Hell's Angels are here, um, and and during and during this time you're in new york mm-hmm. um with herbert Hunky, right and uh and you're developing the sort of this uh this style
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh tell tell me what was going on during that time um in new york as, as you know it's 1965 uh and what what are you experiencing
1: well we were uh uh kind of Concerned with the Vietnam War, that had become big news. It was big news, yeah. Right, and about that same time, we got would get peyote, which you could get by mail from Texas.
0: Oh, so you were you were okay? So you you were experimenting with a Native American powerful substance during that time. Well,
1: and marijuana and heroin. I took a lot of heroin for about four years. Oh yeah, in the okay. Sixties. And uh, my big influence poetically was Alden Van Buskirk, who's not too well-known. But I fell in with, he died in 1961 when he was 23. And the people who were his friends became my friends. Martha Muse and David Rattray and John Seeley became John Page. And uh, I had been typing Hunky's journals for Ayla Kokanen, who was a friend of his. And David Rattray knew I was doing that, and he had this pile of papers from Alden Van Buskirk, and he had me type, type up the manuscript, which is pretty wonderful to do. Yeah. It was very cool. The um, You know, what I saw among the beats was that they were already celebrities, minor celebrities, but celebrities nevertheless. Nevertheless, so, yeah. Since the, uh, you know, 59 was Gate of Horn, so in a few years they were... They were getting pretty well known, and um, a lot of Ginsburg, a lot of Kerouac, kind of glamorized the the movement. And it was they pretty, did, yeah, pretty wonderful. You know, with
0: their style, and they got into the you know the indigenous cultures, and then the uh, the Yahe and then um, the substances. You know, and they, and they got into Eastern cultures, and I think you yeah. did too. You get a, you were talking about um, it was on the air. You know? Yeah, you were talking about Buddhism. Buddhism. Yeah. Buddhism. yeah, you were talking about. Uh, you also got into. Um, um what do you what's that thing called when you do the uh hypnotism hypnotism, hypnotism. yeah Ouija board Ouija board well the, yeah Tarot.
1: I was more interested in being real and being cool About the difference that. between Alden van Busker and people like 10 years older than him and 10 years older than me was that um they had felt the the uh, excitement of having the barriers of conformity come down and for the whole universe to be a topic for poetry that people were interested in, and your own feelings, like I said. Mm-hmm. Uh, just saying something that was real became news. Mm-hmm. Um, and the streets had a glamour. And when Ginsburg first met Hunky, he said that his uh, he first saw him through the glamorizing eyes as a petty thief. Who knew all about the underworld? So he exalted him as a petty thief. A petty
0: thief from the underworld. Mm. Huh. Yeah, interesting. how did he? How do he get there?
1: <laughs> well, you have to look through rosy eyes to get there.
0: No, oh, you have but to have a you have a window. Yeah, there's a window, and then when you need to take that window. It's, it's
1: failing, right? Take it. Take it with you. No. But when Hunky and I would walk the streets together, it was not pretty. And when Van Baster sure, and I yeah. would write about it, we would not mm. leave. We would not pretend it was all pretty. Yeah. It's exciting, and there's some interesting things about it. Mm-hmm. But it's not pretty, especially with, you know, you have to watch out with drugs because the penalties were very high if you were caught. There's a lot of yeah, discrimination yeah. among the beats, and uh, the poverty was not not pretty. It wasn't fun, in other words, it, at it, times. There was a lot that was not fun. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't want to pretend.
0: But let's get into more of you know when we talk about. Uh, you know consciousness expansion mm-hmm. um and then you know there's Timothy Leary and, and the taking of LSD turning tuning in dropping out and so forth
1: those speeches he gave were really dramatic really yeah difficult. well
0: I mean he gives he gives these great speeches that are you know supposed to be
1: the the idea was, that there, was there was a
0: fallacy about that and again who is it that said the body's paramount along with what one sees in their own eyes i think you said that right
1: uh-huh okay
0: um and so forth and then And here come, you know, the hippies. We can talk about them, you know, who are really from uh, a byproduct of the great society. Mm -hmm. I think you can agree with that. And they get into this whole idea of of cosmic consciousness expansion and the beats and, you know, Kerouac talking about the stars and then Ginsburg going off. And then we think about these, you know, taking LSD, going to a show, paying, paying I don't know how much money for the show uh, and then expecting enlightenment, as it were. And do you think they were misled?
1: No. LSD is fantastic. You, oh, you, okay. It's, fan, it's great. Yeah. It's still around now. Microdosing is very pop- popular.
0: Oh, they take small amounts of LSD. Take
1: small amounts every day. So you don't get high, but it gives you a certain energy. Yeah. I don't do that, but I remember wow. all the highs. It's the vision of the world. You think, oh, I'm just high. And then you come down and you realize that the vision is accurate. You don't want to have to f- deal with all that everything swirling and seeing layers and everything all the time. Well, again, but you're you know, aware that it's there. And so, yeah, that's weird
0: because there's this whole way of being thing and the energy with it and being being with that a lifestyle. And you gave an example of a person in Cuba, and you know, in Cuba, obviously something was successful as far as having a movement. Uh, we're talking about kids who are white and middle class and getting into this thing, and then suddenly having this notion of powerlessness, as they called it, right? We were talking about, you know, being powerless. Um, the hippies are powerless? Well, in, in essence, uh, you
1: talked about that, them being,
0: didn't you mention them being powerless in many sense? Where
1: did I mention it? Um They did not have a strong political arm. Right. They had every reason to develop one. And, I'm, and they did not. And they did not. And I'm very sorry that I wasn't more politically active at the time because it was pretty obvious at the time. It was something they that needed to, to be done. They wanted to live with nature and love each other. And, they went out and they and, and they're right. They're absolutely right. Like and be organic and organically, all, all yeah. All the things that have put us in this terrible place that we are now, they were against. And and well, it's I, interesting I how you talk about them in then
0: her. and now because mm-hmm. uh, who 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 in essence are well, I mean, a lot, many of the people who were mm-hmm. are still alive, obviously, sure, in your generation. Um, in Old that's hippies that's... is what they call us. But then you know you you have the you know the end of the end of the entire uh, the big um, Kerouac rejecting the counterculture Ginsburg's copping out and then you yourself kind of withdrew from the Beats yourself right you took odd jobs you started pressing books mm-hmm. you became a printer actually mm-hmm. and you had, went to heroin rehab in 1972
1: I never went to rehab yeah you know, okay. I got off myself in 68
0: oh okay. This is in the 1970s. You know, Nixon, Watergate, and all those other things uh-huh. are materializing. Uh-huh. That becomes sort of a um, sort of a, a downtime in American. Tell us about that time. What you were doing and how you were um, uh, living.
1: I was, I was uh, running a printing press for small jobs, just keeping going that way. And I was very aware that the uh, media had dissed the hippies before they got before they blossomed. It's like the Beats got respect from the media, even though the media satirized them. You know the guys in the in the berets and and.
0: Uh, well, doing the, doing but on the other things? side, I mean, the cou- another part of the counterculture, the Hells Angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about uh, glorification to a, to a mass degree. We're talking about
1: of the Hells Angels. Yeah,
0: uh, just complete Some infatuation. Yes. So I wouldn't say you know on that on that perspective, uh-huh. that's getting full throttle. Okay. Um and but they're ignoring other parts, I guess. Yeah.
1: You know, there was a chance for the hippies to do a lot more
0: in in their in their tarot cards and whatnot. And then I also like a lot of South American gypsies. Mm-hmm. I I I encourage them, but the other ones I, I don't mm-hmm. like as much. Uh, not that I speak negatively of, of gypsies. People who are gypsies are fine. So, now you're you're assented to teaching. Mm-hmm. You got into teaching mm-hmm. after a while. Um, you found a niche, and I think you found a talent for that, too. Uh, you, have a, you have a knack for teaching. Mm-hmm. You enjoy really it. enjoy it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was up in the Northwest with my friend Michael Daly. Uh-huh. We were doing readings. We went to Port Townsend and gave a reading. And the guy at the town next over in Port Angeles, Jack Estes, kind of kept tabs on who was, who was coming to Port Townsend, which is kind of a center and uh, he had me over to give a reading and teach a workshop i loved doing the reading and i said but i had no this is 1978 i said i had no classroom experience how do i do a workshop he said well it's easy you just do what david wagner did last month you divide the psyche in the same three parts that transactional analysis does the parent the adult and the child that's the same as the freudian split the super eagle the eagle and the id but it's given commonplace names and he said, you give them the names for a writer. So the editor or the superego of the writer, the parent, becomes the editor. The conscious mind, the ego, becomes the writer. That's the one who's in control of the whole process. And the child stays the child.
0: You and talked he, about that, and uh, Kerouac talks about the child, um, as you're writing, you're thinking
1: about the crazy child, as it were. That's my phrase. He never used it.
0: Oh, you that's your thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
1: you tell the editor and writer to go away and let the child write whatever it wants. Yeah. And that is parallel with what Carroll was doing. He liked to write to do automatic writing. He and Burroughs would do that. And that's really taken from the spiritualists earlier who would do who would kind of listen inside to the spirits of the dead and just speak whatever they're say they're saying. So it's yeah, a yeah. spontaneous talk. And he was spontaneously writing. That's where he why he wrote on butcher paper that was cut to fit his typewriter, he didn't have to take the sh- paper in and out. He just brought it, kept typing on the scroll. You know, here you are. You have this love of creativity,
0: and you en- enroll in Columbia University. Uh-huh. You began a 40-year tradition of open readings. You'd already be gone at
1: that point. I'd already be. I mean, it was the late '80s that we did the yeah but I Whatever mean, considering
0: the beats are no small thing and that you're perpetuating it uh-huh. um did you feel you were kind of and you probably still are in some respects do you feel like you're keeping that the the new the newness and the new indifferentness and in you' in your uh you're keeping it alive in many senses
1: well what, what Ginsburg, Ginsburg was tireless with us i mean he would he would he made relationships with the big writers of his time with Ezra Pound yeah William Carlos Williams,
0: yeah. What about, uh, what about what uh, about the new journalism? Hunter Thompson, Tom Wolfe, Norman Mailer.
1: Yeah, that, they're drawing on the same kind of free energy. We were, the thing right. That Gins- what Ginsburg was teaching us was modernism. Yeah. And modernism—the impulse behind my mo- I mean, modernism gets very complicated, but the impulse behind it is to wipe the lens of the eye clear and to see what's actually in front of you. And that's what my foundation is—is is really in the modernists with the addition of the beat's love of the body and and the wisdom of the body. Um, Eliot's poem, Let us go then you and I while the evening is spread across the sky like a patient etherized upon a table. So he's using the template that he was given. Let us go then you and I while the evening is spread across the sky. It's the 19th century template and you expect a romantic poem where you're walking hand in hand in Scheherazade's Draping his scarves over the sunset, or something like that. And now they said, like a patient etherized upon a table, which is a challenge to everyone. It's like, just what is before your eyes? What's the patient etherized upon the table? Well, I mean, what do you mean by patient, as far as far as that's concerned? Right. Um, for the for the writer, whoever it is you're looking at,
0: you're looking at a uh, yeah. You're looking at from from a uh, you know, quite quite perspective. Points. Yeah. But what but is then that? What's going on? Out yeah, what's 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 with the, the crack perspective? To, I
1: got to Colombia and they had no energy and nothing. Yeah, and what going to Colombia gave me respect for was for my foundation. It's your foundation, I moved yeah. Away from the beats, from away from the partying mentality, the guy who likes cheap wine, screw anything in skirts, mm. male or female, and it's it's not for me. So I moved away from you the moved so to, okay from the social persona. Well, like went to Columbia a few years later in order to keep my teaching job. I knew I had to have an advanced degree.
0: So I mean, but you and again you did the same thing in the 1990s. Uh, you know, you kind of just left it also during that time. I left what? You kind of left the Beats during that time also.
1: No, I earned respect for the foundation I got from the Beats. At oh, Columbia okay. Because during Columbia that time, had nothing to teach me. Yeah, I can tell stories.
0: But I'm I'm sure. Well, I mean, considering, yeah, that, I don't think they can offer one much of that from, very from where, you writers, were where you were growing. Had,
1: to th- one of the exalted writers say something about this and something about that, and I'm at the back of the room wondering whether to take his course. I said, "Well, how do, how, how do those elements, those disparate elements, connect?" He said, "Take the class and you'll see." And I thought, "Yeah, I'll take the class," you know, in your dreams. And then, uh, was it Philip Lacati? I had read a poem in class. I knew, I kept two files while I was at Columbia. One of the poems that I liked and the other was poems for them. And I read one that I liked and it's motion grasshoppers. And there's a grasshopper climbing along pulling tendons and things along the back of my shoulders and I used the word across. And he challenged me for my use of the word across. I said, what's wrong with the word across? That's what it was doing. Like, that's the level of the instruction. You're going to look at the, the... the connective word and take issue with it it's like get out of here and Sharon Olds was worse I went there probably because she was there she had no respect for her students like I was embarrassed for the teachers Bob Hass also was could give a good exercise but oh my god Quincy Troop I loved Quincy but he wasn't teaching anything but they sure taught me that the foundation I'd gotten from Irving Rosenthal, from Herb Punky, from studying Van Buskirk, from Michael McClure, from Diane DiPrima. I was tied with Diane DiPrima. With the feminists,
0: you you had a pretty uh, pretty good connection to the feminists. Yeah, um, absolutely. How did that materialize? How, what what gave you a? Um, well, it a,
1: started with Aaron, who I married in the '60s, and uh, what the guys were doing. Have you heard of uh, Natalie's story by Debbie Siegel? She's no. Look it up. It's about the Beats in San Francisco, and Carol Alec is there, and they've got this woman working for them, and they just treat her the way the Beats, the males were supposed to, were supposed to train the women how to be cool, and I was doing that with Erin, you know, go with the Dharma flow, uh, st- keep your keep your calm, use these words, and I did it enough times with Erin that she just looked at me one day and said, stop it, I'm a person. With that cool <laughs> women. Well, I... I've been going to the European Beat Studies Network conferences for the last three years. Not, not didn't, didn't go last year. Didn't go, not going this year. But for three years, I went to the conference, and I hadn't read much Kerouac. We read Railroad Earth and like that. Yeah, I mean, well, well, I, I'm been, re- I'm Starless, reading Kerouac. You know, preparing Starless for your interview. I picked up Dharma Bums. <laughs> I got about ten pages into it. I didn't want any more of it. It's like the way they treat the way he treated women was just terrible. Well, yeah, like the consciousness is non and well, I'm here for what the they beats, looking at reality and and understanding. Well, what does reality, reality
0: what does reality say to them? And again, I want to tie this sure. in with it with the counterculture and the hippies because okay. it's just really a perpetuation, even though it was it was so fuel You know, you said a, you know high politics fuel charge type of thing. Where at the same time there's also kind of this getting into, the, you know, marijuana consumption, uh, drug consumption, and... Uh, Ginsburg
1: uh, was great in, in, in legalizing marijuana.
0: Yeah, know, but then, yeah, you know, the, they say that he copped out in many ways. And then Kerouac just kind of withdraws, kind of becomes a hermit. Um, Burroughs, uh, yeah, Burroughs, Burroughs uh, similar to you, I mean, he did a lot of heroin, mm-hmm. um, and he kind of just
1: what did back. he do he
0: withdrew didn't he withdrew he? a bit yeah the concept was that it just the, the entire movement sort of fizzled away um, naturally as it were but the politics like the imprint you know you wanted most of the people who followed that and support that concept of us and, and having that uh, the you know uh, standing standing up against what, what was old and tyrannical um, just never really materialized so it would have been great in 1968 if they had like a stamp of uh, of their candidate, uh, they try very hard in, in terms of getting getting those things um, out of our hands. Even to this day, I mean, we're we're talking about politics now, and I know you're pretty pretty full charge uh, against this. You know what's going on now.
1: One of the I mean, one of the many things that's happening is that the army has learned how to recruit people. The army how to how to how to. Uh, keep journalists from telling us what's actually happening
0: well you think they're, they're outsmarting 60, a, the journalists 60 huh?
1: to 70 drones a day go to the Middle east and as far as i know that's still going on
0: yeah that's we don't hear much about day. it yeah each, loose each one is bush like says loose what? lips sink ships right
1: like seven hundred thousand dollars each or 1.2 million dollars each 60 or Big, 70 well a day. money yeah and, the, well, the money is staying within this.
0: Well, because, I mean, before the money, money, the money still wanted, wanted you know, uh, wars in, the, in Latin America, wars in Africa.
1: Well, so the Army, you know, we had the draft when I was coming up. And what, uh, during son, Korea? My son, the Army keeps tabs on the young men, and they track them. And anyone who drops out of school, they call them up. Yeah? Yeah. And so you, you don't hear about it in the news. They don't need the draft. Because they kind of watch everybody and they see who's who they can offer a job to, who's who's likely to take.
0: Take the bait, huh? Yeah. You know, the power the power base, you know, from Nixon, uh-huh. Nixon who and who he served, um, and then perpetuating from Reagan being worse. Yes. Bush Sr. was horrible. Yeah, right. And, you know, where Cheney sort of grew from Nixon and Bush and so forth. We, and then
1: Clinton came about, and, you know, Clinton,
0: many policies, he did some good things. But in the end, you see, you kind of say
1: you feel like he
0: he gave in to corporate America.
1: Mm-hmm. Biden seems to be doing that too.
0: Um, well, yeah, Biden's Biden's been doing that for mm-hmm. since you know, he's doing the same thing, um, and he's.
1: What we were saying, which is fun, was we don't think Biden has seen the light, but he can feel the heat. <laughs> like,
0: well, with with Biden, the, the thing about Biden is he's yeah, we don't really know who he is. Uh-huh. Uh, we have a we have a general idea of who he is, but we know he's been a senator, who's been in in the Senate, mm-hmm. um, engulf himself into, you know, I- into the political atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, and now he's given the green light, full time government government employee, who's suddenly become the power. president, and uh, you know he doesn't have any any executive experience really, and he's just, uh, but there he, here he is, and he's got he's got the keys to the kingdom.
1: You know, Colbert had a uh, Broadway star on a couple of years ago. Colbert gets serious once in a while. Yeah. And he did. He said, you know, what's going on with the culture? What do you think is happening? And she was ready to answer. She said, I think we've forgotten how to talk to each other. And he instantly went to uh, commercial. And, you know, those things are recorded. So yeah. That was purposeful. Well, yeah, that's just a, that.
0: But again, but you know, we have to be careful about labels uh, because. You know we're not really giving ourselves enough room here yeah but uh, i think
1: she's right i think we've forgotten how to talk to each other and i think that the hippies have the right idea we just have no idea how to do it That our consciousness needs to change it really needs to shift and it needs to shift fast because we're destroying the planet fast and you know who the biggest polluter is oh. the military
0: well yeah the military is 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 uh they, they consume a lot of oil that's for yeah. sure right. and um, this, this military industrial complex, as they called it. Um, and you mentioned, you talked about that where you talk about, uh, drones and, and whatnot, how the drones actually drone aerospace and death.
1: Yeah.
0: The concept of, of, of these drones put invoking death upon people. You mentioned that, how that, how that in effect creates this sense of fear and whatnot. But again, I mean, we're talking about uh, we're talking about policies that were instituted during the Bush administration. Right. And we're talking about Bush being elected and not uh, not following the the guidelines uh, presented by Richard. I forget. I forget his name. Richard something. Richard. He was in the in the inside loop for Bush and he presented the Taliban to him and Bush just ignored it. And then, you know, one fateful day as he's reading to to a bunch of elementary students. Someone whispers in his ear and you can tell when you watch that on the, the movie, the documentary. It, it occurred to him, like, whoops. Uh-huh. But then again, you know, who wants someone consistently giving you, you know, telling the president what to do? Which I think, hey, look, take care of this, you know. Mr. President, this is this is your responsibility, Mr. President. And Bush was like, you know, it's not how I operate. But again, let's let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about Bush and, and Nixon as operators. Can you talk mm-hmm. about that?
1: Sure didn't do us any good. Come in the camp, make love, not war. And I have a friend who was in a group that she loved very much, but she was the only woman, and the men started dissing her. And we had conversations about what they were saying to her and how hard it was to be in the patriarchy. And I said, I'll come in with you. It's like those guys are, are cowards. Men who don't respect women are cowards. It's like, where do they come from?
0: That's true, yeah. yeah you-
1: and you got to look them in the eye and say... I know a bully bigger and meaner than you are, and we're gonna sick him on you if you don't like wake up a bit. You've got feelings, and you you came from a woman's womb, and you've got no reason not to respect that a hundred percent. That's where life comes from.
0: It's important. It's important to show respect to women because yeah, if you absolutely. don't, if you don't, you're really just um, well. That's that's a definition of being a gentleman, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, it, it's great uh clive to be talking to you about about these concepts and i think we've we've just basically touched the surface um with me it's difficult for me because you know being a a poet and a writer uh, many books published especially on on these topics it's difficult to get the words across as to what i want to communicate uh, with our audience and with you um but i think we got i think we got some uh some important concepts i'm glad we had this conversation i'm glad uh i spoke to you um I uh, you were you were invited uh to another podcast uh okay. hopefully in a more we did have some technical difficulties setting up. Uh, but again, uh thank you for 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 doing this podcast for us. Um Thanks and for having me on. If you want, we can give you some time right now to uh to read some a poet a poem. Would you be interested?
1: Yeah, I can read a line from Sorry I was okay. Backpacking in 2015 in this favorite spot, and I realized that the whole place had been degraded. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of trees that were sick and uh, there was scum on the scum on the lakes. Okay,
0: so yeah, you can go ahead.
1: So w- so So I could feel in my chest the template of Western culture that had caused that destruction. So I started writing the poem. It took me five years to write. Like one of the lines it repeats is um, Contrails write our obituary across the sky. Obituary
0: across, across the sky. The
1: sky yeah. that's,
0: that's great, the yeah.
1: It's the jet exhaust. Light embraces everything, everywhere the same. Into the market for a potato chip. 40 flavors in one cabinet, 50 the next. In the aisle, 450. Ice cream, same count. Same count, water, milk. Wine, double the count. Butter, vitamins, power balls. 450 and one chip speaks to you, to me, nifty. Profusion, confusion, contusion, illusion, one tinge, infused with turmeric, saline blue, perfect for the individual, perfect for me, for you, no waste. Multinationals tuned to your special taste. Quote, say it loud, aren't you proud? Look what we handed down. Ah, geez, so what? It's a potato chip one salty tasty capitalism tidbit, one splotch on the table, don't trip, slippery slope, ably greased with jizz, someone else's jizz, feed me, feed me tastes so I won't grok my own, clang, your entire being knows you're alone, one among 450 and no touch, face, chest, arms, hands, thighs, legs, no leisure, no contact, no bone, and skin-covered galaxies inside are opaque. Loneliness, the ache too deep to grasp. Motherfuck, they got you, got me, we're marketeered. Tsunami caresses our sweet spot and we splash down in the river of tears. Stay healthy, work soft, be tender, get fit, stay woke, be cool, sparkling clear TV screens rotate on wheels, behind wheels, beyond wheels, before wheels, actors, singers, spinning, spinning, caressing gently your fragile sensitive wrinkles, each one more intimate and which one will reveal how to be more beautifully yourself. The rich, the healthy, the happy realized people doing exactly what they want, so you can too. A siren song calls up your tender G-spot place. A smiling exquisite face proffers one secret desire, yours, mine. Every such spirit is horrifying. Ein jeder Angel ist schrecklich. Feed me. Feed me images so I don't have to feel. Dude, they're acting. They're paid to look like that, so you will try that look. Why, why do you feel you're a marketing experiment? Because, because you are a marketing experiment. Turn around and I'm next, marketeered. Happy-go-lucky, singing a song. How could we go? so terribly wrong. In one geologic instant everything gelled. 13.8 billion years we learned how psychology works. We learned how to sell. Take it to the banks, marketers, who would have figured it out without your help, Freud. But thanks. Say it loud. Aren't you proud? Look what we handed down. Ably greased with chism. Someone else's chism peril in the garden the garden in peril.
0: Clive Matson, thank you. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Redman Life Simple clean and real redmond live your journey with real salt relight powered by real salt relight stick packs earth paste and natural clay-based tooth powder available at a natural food store near you online or at redmond.life.com also available on our website